really a review of the last couple of weeks, what we've done. And while uh, you're getting those, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Genesis. We'll have a little bit of review this morning and as we make our way through this life of Joseph study. So much has happened. It's amazing what God has done. Seen so many things here for me, and hopefully it's been helpful to you as well. But I was thinking about something. Looking back at, uh, especially back to chapters 39 and, and chapters 40, you know, in Joseph's time of, um, of affliction, in his time in where the foraging of his faith was occurring, you know, you remember that we said in the beginning, the first 17 years of his life uh, was the foundation of his faith there in his father's house. And then how there were 13 years of, of uh, forging of that faith, strengthening it, tempering it. And uh, that was in slavery in Potiphar's house and then, of course, in prison. And then he's going to have 80 years exalted on the throne at, in Egypt to be the ruler over all of Egypt. And... Uh, and so we're into that period in our study, but I want to just review the, 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 that 13 years of time here that, that passed where Joseph's faith was being tested. And, um, and I was thinking about the, um, the two defining events that occurred during this period of time in Joseph's life. The first one, and by the way, I think if, you know, I, you know, it's hard to, Know the the providence of God and the and the sovereignty of God, and of course we mix with this foreknowledge. But you know, in our lives, I think that there's many times where there comes a test, and we don't pass, and then it's like we got to repeat the grade. Y'all notice that? You got to go back and uh, and and what have we missed out on that God might have wanted to do? And then what's before us, Brother Craig, which is most important, we can only learn from the past, we can't change it, but what from here forward, if we would obey and believe God, might God do? That's what I'm really interested in, because in Joseph's life, the first great test, of course, he had was in Potiphar's house. That defining event of him resisting the immediate pleasure that was offered to him for something greater. That was a test of his faith with Potiphar's wife. Y'all remember that? And so Joseph chose to look beyond the uh, immediate, look, look beyond the, the temporary and look at the eternal and to look at the long term. And he resisted that temptation. And if he had not, what happened in chapter 41 where we saw that he uh, got a wife, amen, which we'll review a little bit of that today. And then he got two children. May have never come to pass. As a matter of fact, most likely, now, excluding the providence of God, now, if he had not passed that test, he would have never left slavery. Is that right? You see? But God was working in his life, and God chose Joseph, and he put, allowed Joseph to go through there because he saw Joseph, and knowing the end, knew that Joseph would resist that temptation. I think that's what he's looking at for us. But the other thing, the other test, I believe, we clearly see, turn to... Um, Psalm 105, hold your place there in Genesis. Uh, we're going to start up in 42 here in a, in a few minutes. But let's, uh, let's look, at, uh, look at Psalms again. Let's look at these verses in Psalm 105. Because the other test 
maybe even the greater test. In Psalm 105, verse 17, just so we know who we're talking about here, it says that He, that being God, sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. Verse 19, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Joseph's second great test or trying that he had to pass was this trying of his faith. Would he believe the word that God gave him against all hope? Is there any hope that that word is going to come true at the time that we see Joseph in chains, in prison, in Egypt? No, there's no physical uh, evidence that this is going to come to pass. So it must be taken purely upon faith. It must be by faith. If you're looking for reasoning, if you're looking for evidence, that's not a faith. It's because God said it. So therefore, what else matters? Amen? It's like somebody said years ago, I heard some people say, you know, God said it, I believe it, and that's all that matters. Well, if God said it, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Amen. It's, it's, it's God's Word. And, but God was testing him. He was trying him during this, this period of time. So I see the first temptation came from the devil to sin. But I see the second testing was to prove Joseph and to strengthen him. And this is indeed a supreme test that we will all face. So my question for you this morning is, what are you still hoping for? What are you holding on to here by faith? Amen? There's some, is there some things that God has, has said to you, that you have seen in God's Word, that He has revealed to you? My, my, my encouragement to you is don't give up. And here's the thing, I do believe that without a shadow of a doubt, that trying that he was going through was to confirm this truth in his heart. That God is good. Period. No matter what else happens. If he stays right there, God's good. If they chain him, if they chain him down more, if they hold him longer, when even the, the butler forgets about him, didn't change God, did it? God is still good. And when we get that, Brother Mike, cemented into our mind and our heart, that no matter what happens today or tomorrow or next year and whatever's happened in the past, that God is still good, that He's still working things together for, for good, and that He will not leave me nor forsake me. And that He will reward those that diligently seek Him. Amen. If when we get that sealed in our heart, that's the testing. That's the trying. When that decision is made, then God can trust you with whatever He has for you. And so that's what happened with Joseph. Joseph had this period of time where this testing was going on. And, um, and he said, yeah, God's good. And now you know what? Then God could trust him with being on the throne in Egypt. Amen. And he's not going to abuse his authority. You're going to see that in a little bit. Maybe today we'll see that. So my, my, my review here, just thinking about this, is that, you know, so I think we need to look back sometimes to help us too. Because God has already brought you through some things, hasn't he? Have you ever been like standing at that Red Sea, you know, when the enemy's on your tail and it looks like there, there's no way to go through and you can't go around? And God brought you through, didn't he? 
whether it was disappointment, whether it was a, a difficulty in life, or whatever it was that you were facing. And by the way, some of those we brought on upon ourselves because of our own disobedience. But God, still, in times some other people brought on to us, those that we love and they care, we care about, but God brought you through on the other side, you see. And so we've got to look back sometimes in order for us to, to really seal this in our heart and review what God has already done for us, amen? It's like that, that uh, great black preacher, S.M. Lockridge, said, he's talking about when they, when they crucified Jesus, he said, but Sunday's coming. But Sunday's coming. Amen. <laughs> the God's deliverance is coming. He will. If you stay, if we stay faithful, He will bring us through. And, and I'll tell you that, um, that there's an incredible blessing that Joseph got here. So God gives him a Gentile bride. Amen. There's a type of Christ right there that Christ has a Gentile bride as well. And you know what her name is? The church of God, right? The church of God, that's her name. And he gives him two sons. One means forgetting. We need to be good forgetters about the things that went wrong and things that people that have hurt us and other things that have happened. He, he forgot that. And then he had one named Fruitful. Man, he has been fruitful in his life and in his new place that God has given him. And so Joseph now, we're, we're, let's look at the end of chapter 41 verse uh, 57, and it says, And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the land, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. And I see Joseph here, not only is God using him to save Israel, but look at that. It says all countries. God is literally using Joseph here as a type of Christ to save the world. You know, and I couldn't help but think about that. Hold your place here, but go over to 1 John in the back of your Bible. I couldn't help but think of this verse when I was meditating on this. And this typology here that we see of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And verse 2 is where I want us to see. It says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Was Jesus Christ's death and payment for uh, His bloodshed, was it enough for the world? The sins of the entire world? Absolutely. And here's the thing, too. And I, Man, I tell you what. You know, that, that word propitiation, I looked it up this morning. just want to understand a little bit more about it. Because a lot of times we just see that as the payment. And certainly it is a payment. But it's much more than that. That word is rich. And, and so the New Age versions these, these, uh, miss a lot of this, uh, the richness of this. This word propitiation, according to the 1828 Webster, says it is the act of appeasing wrath and obtaining favor of an offended person. And that offended person was God. You understand? And so, because Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross, He appeased and He pleased, He satisfied the wrath of God, and He obtained favor for the offended person. 
Amen. And it, it means that that word means that there was an atoning sacrifice toward God that averted his wrath and reconciled sinners. Thank God that it did. And, and we see in Joseph in the physical realm here serving what Jesus Christ did in the spiritual realm. Amen. That he made the propitiation for our sins, reconciled us to God if we would believe that and receive that. Put our faith and trust completely into that. So look at verse chapter 42 now. And let's go into the next phase. Because we have a setting change here. It's interesting. Now look how this verse starts. Verse 1. Now when Jacob. Now we haven't heard much from Jacob the last few chapters. But Jacob now back in the homeland. Look what it says. And, and now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt. Jacob said unto his sons. Why do you look one Upon another. He says, and he said, Behold, I have heard there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. I had this thought. Two thoughts. First thought here is deal with the sons. What was their thought heading down to Egypt? wonder if they had any trepidation about that. wonder if they were a little bit concerned about going down to Egypt. wonder if they were thinking about their brother. wonder about their wonder if he's still alive. Hmm. I don't know. I, I got to know. You know, it's been 20 plus years. But you know they haven't forgotten it. And they know exactly where he was headed last time they saw him. And now they're headed down there. Hmm. Man, there's a lot going on here. Second thing I thought about takes us back to chapter 39. Joseph is exalted in one day from the prison to the ruler. I wonder how, how long it took for that news to get to Potiphar's house. I wonder how long it took for it to get back to Potiphar's wife that Joseph was now <laughs> ruler over all of Egypt. I bet she had a few restless days. What do y'all want to bet? Huh? You know, an average man would have been, he would have been come to get things, set things right, wouldn't he? Rightfully so. She should have been the one in prison. Amen. <laughs> Instead of him. But I don't see any of that in Joseph. Zero. None. But I do think that these boys had, um, I think they did have some, some thoughts about going down to Egypt. And, uh, and, and I, and I first thought about, second thing was, why all ten? Why send all ten? And, uh, and I think that there's a, a couple of, of reasons here. Um, but let's read verse 4, and then we'll get into that. And Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. So Benjamin's the baby. He's the only son left uh, of, of Rachel, his favorite wife. And so here he is. Um, man, he is... Would you all say maybe he's a little bit overprotective of Benjamin? What's the reputation that uh, the baby of the family has? Spoiled, spoiled brat. That's what my wife said. She's not the baby. She wouldn't have said that, right? And neither am I. But the baby of the family, as a general rule, don't they tend to struggle? You know, you struggle sometimes with overprotecting them. Let me say, we need to be careful about that. We need to... Um, we need to not, not, not overprotect. We need to let them experience life. And we need to certainly let them grow up. And we let them need to, they need to learn to do some things. But, but, but J- J- Jacob here, he just cannot 
do that with Benjamin because of what's going on already. Now remember, how old is Jacob at this point? Jacob. Now, no, Joseph's 30. How old is Jacob? How old do you think he is? Well, in just a couple of chapters, he's going to stand before Pharaoh and he's going to tell him, I'm 130 years old. He's 130. He's not a young dude. So how old do you think Benjamin is? You know, it's not a kid or a teenager we're talking about here. Y'all understand? He's younger than than Joseph, so we know he's less than 30, but he's probably in his 20s. Right? So this is not a, you know, this is not a kid that he's protecting here. This is a grown man. So why send all ten? Well, I think that there's, there's two reasons here. Number one, there's safety in numbers, right? So he's sending them down to get food. And guess what? Food's very scarce right now. And when something's very scarce, it makes it also very valuable, right? And, and when things are valuable, people have a tendency to want to steal them. Take them. They asked a famous bank robber one time, they said, why do you keep robbing banks? And he said, it's where they keep the money. So, I mean, if you got to have money, I guess you're going to have to keep going to the same place, right? Uh, but uh, the, if you've got something, somebody else will be wanting it. I promise you that, okay? And, um, and so I think there's some safety here, but I think that the way the story plays out, when you look over there later, and the way they distributed, uh, each one got a portion and because uh, they had their own money that they brought to pay for it, and they had their own bag, that probably when you showed up in Egypt, if just one person came, you got one bag. And that was probably about it. So he said, man, we need more than that. So we're going to send everybody that we can, but we're not sending Benjamin. Bottom line, he's not going. And so... Verse, let's look at what happens when they get down there because we've been waiting now for God's promise all the way back from chapter 37 to come to pass and here it's going to come right here. Verse 6, And Joseph was the governor over the land and he it was that sold to all the people of the land and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren and knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, We are from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him, but they knew not him. Man, I can't think of, help but think about John chapter 1 verse 11. Jesus came unto his own and his own Received him not because they didn't know him. He knew them, but they didn't know him. You see him as a type of Christ here, but in verse 6, they bowed down. Now this has been, now we've gone through the whole 13 years of Joseph's affliction. We've gone through seven years of plenty, and now we're into the famine. We don't know exactly how far, but enough that things have gotten desperate. So no doubt a year or two. So we're talking about now 21, 22 years or so that have gone by since they sold Joseph into slavery. They don't recognize him, Brother Ducker. They don't recognize him. And plus, he's in, he's in Egyptian garb. Okay, he's speaking Egyptian. Okay, and, and plus it's been 20-something years since they've seen him, and he was just a teenager. Now he's a grown man. So, he's 38 years old probably, 37, 38 years old at this point. And um, so, but they do bow before him, fulfilling the prophecy that God said would happen. Amen. And so, 
I think if they were looking for Joseph, they sure wasn't looking for him here, Brother John. You understand? He was a slave. That's where they would have expected him to be. So they weren't expecting to see him in the palace. So he caught them off guard. He did not, they did not expect this. They did not see him, but he knew them. And so my question is, what are our expectations? You know, expectations matter a lot. Do you know that the way your brain works, that things that typically the things that you expect, you tend to get? And you know, our brain makes a lot of assumptions. It, it takes a little bit of information and makes an assumption about it based on other information and experiences and things that have happened throughout our life. You know, it's like um, uh, I, my brain makes a lot of wrong assumptions. Y'all ever notice that? A lot of times when I'm reading, I even I think I know what the writer's going to say next, and I and I go ahead and say it, but it ain't what he said. Amen. I have to go back and correct it. So sometimes our brain makes assumptions based on a little bit of information. But what I want to talk to you about is expectations. What kind of expectations do we have for ourselves, number one? And what kind of expectations do we have for our kids and our grandkids? Assuming and knowing that what we expect, we tend to get a lot of. I've always thought that if you set high expectations for your children, you're more likely to get them. If you set low expectations for your children, you will most assuredly get them. Y'all think that's right? I think it's true. I think we need to look at our, evaluate our expectations. And, uh, and I want to know about us. What do we, what are our expectations for church? When we come to church, what kind of expectations do we have? Do we expect to hear from God? Expect for God to speak to us? To help us? Do we come with that type of expectation? Do we expect God to do a work in us? Inspect God to use us to do a work? Because he wants to, I, do, I know he wants to. What about in your in your uh, in your business and in, in what you do? Do you expect it to be pro- profitable? God will use you there. The Bible says in in um, Proverbs sixteen verse nine, it says that a man deviseth his ways, but who directs his steps? But God directs his steps. But the Lord directs his steps. So what that means to me is that God gave me a mind. He expects me to use it. But he's going to direct my steps as I pursue the will of God. Now, y'all understand that the Bible is full of this kind of situation going on. But even in Acts chapter 16, right? When, when they go out on the second missionary journey, Paul had devised his way. He had a plan. He was going to go in this way and serve the Lord up into Asia. And, and the Holy Spirit said, nope, you're not going over here. Going into Bithynia. He said, nope, you're not going over there. But then God said, here's where you're going. That was a, we, we see clearly written down in scripture that God was, the, was directing his steps. Other times we see the way it plays out in people's lives. Can you see in Joseph's life that God was directing his steps? He definitely was, wasn't he? And so, and, and Joseph's plan was to serve God. And if we have that plan, I think we can trust that God will do that for us too. But on the flip side, if our ways be evil, God also will direct our steps in this way. What about Haman? You understand? Remember Haman? Boy, his his wicked devices. He wanted to bring the Jews to to naught. Just like sounds like some of the people in our day, doesn't it? It's been going on a long time. Amen. So they were to wipe out all the Jews, and then guess what happens? He ends up wiping himself out, right? And so 
expectations of what we're talking about here. And, and so I think we ought to attempt some, some, some great things for God and expect it by the leadership of the Holy Spirit for God to use us. And maybe He wants to use you to teach somebody else. Maybe there's somebody in your family. Maybe there's some of your neighbors. Maybe there's somebody here in the church that He wants to use you to help. He wants you to certainly, and me to, as well, to model before our people around us. He expects us also to be gracious, amen, and kind. What about our testimony? Does God, do we expect people, our testimony, to have power over people? I think the Lord expects us to share our testimony. And I think He expects us to take calculated risk. You know, playing it safe doesn't take much faith. Right? And so, surely God is leading us to do more. I would agree. Now look at verse 9 with me. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. He remembered the dream. Now, I think Joseph's been a little bit busy the last eight or nine years, saving the world, okay? I mean, getting enough food to feed in a seven years of famine. He's been a little bit busy, right? And so now, this is coming back to him. He hadn't thought about this maybe in a little while. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh yeah, yeah God said that. I knew it would come true. I've been trusting this by faith. Didn't know how God was going to work it out. And then look at this. God did exactly what he, would, what he said he would do. And so, but why does he accuse them of being spies? Hmm. I don't know. You know, Joseph, he's wise. We already know that. And uh, he doesn't readily reveal himself. He conceals himself to some degree because he continues to talk in, in Egyptian, use an interpreter. And, uh, and I think that he needs to know about where his brother's hearts are, doesn't he? He's got to do a little subtlety. He's got to use a little subtlety here to do some testing of these brethren to see what they're really all about now. And he wants to know some things too about his father, about his brother that he don't see. And so, he's going to use some subtlety here. Is subtlety sin? Not necessarily. It could be. Certainly you can use, as the, as the devil used subtlety in the garden with sin, for sure. But no, but the Bible even says the book of Proverbs was even written to give unto the simple some subtlety. To understand how to use godly wisdom. And, uh, and so certainly Joseph is doing that here. And he, and he questions them about this. And look down in verse 13. And it says, And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren. Now, they're giving an answer to him about what he's asked them. The son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Boy, what a statement that is. They know why he's not. Okay? And Joseph knows why they think he's not. Okay? But there's not anything said here. They're still, they're not confessing this. They haven't come clean with this thing at all yet. And so they're hiding some things back as Joseph's hiding some things. So he's going to prove them. Look what it says down in verse 15. He says, Hereby you shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go forth hence except your youngest brother come hither. And then he says in verse 16, he says, send one of you back to get him. But down in verse 17, 
He puts them all together into war three days. He's going to put them in prison. He's going to put them in a jail for three days. What do you think that conversation was like in there with those ten brothers in there? A bunch of finger pointing and blaming and whining and complaining. And and you know what else? You're going to see there's a lot of guilt that's coming out. Because they know. They know what they did was wrong. And... uh, but Joseph here, I think Joseph's doing this for a couple of reasons. I think, number one, he's refining his plan, which you'll see. And number two, he's proving to them that he is completely serious. This is not, he's not playing around. What he says, he means. And so he puts them in, and then verse 18, And Joseph said unto, the, unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. Which to me is an amazing statement. Now we know Joseph fears God, but surely they don't think that the ruler of Egypt fears the Lord Jehovah. I don't know what they thought about that. Maybe they just thought that he meant one of the gods or all the gods together because the Egyptians, Egyptians had bunches of gods, you know. And, um, but he says, if ye be true, verse 19, if ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of, of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your house. And he says, bring back the youngest brother unto me, and so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. So he changed his plan. Instead of uh, only one going back, they're all going back but one. But look at that guilty conscience we just talked about. Look at verse 21. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. So I want to talk to you a little bit about guilt and about a guilty conscience here. It's a horrible thing to have a guilty conscience. You know, a guilty conscience will destroy you. You understand? How will it destroy you? How will it hinder you? Well, number one, it makes you think that every bad thing that happens is because of what you did. You see, they said this has come upon us because of what we did to our brother. The guilty conscience, because you never, you never get rid of it. It's always there. So everything you think you're getting, whether, depending on what your belief system is, if you believe in karma, you're getting paid back. Right? What you, what you did's coming back to you. What goes around comes around, right? And, uh, if you believe, uh, in God, then you say, oh boy, I'm being repaid righteously and justly for what I did. But you know, God's not like that. We'll get into that in a second. But the second thing, not only does it, uh, do you think every bad thing happens because of it, but look down at verse 22. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Now what do you end up with? With guilt, you end up with the blame game. Reuben is captain of the blame game team. He's been doing it before. He's doing it now. He says, I told you. Well, number three, the third thing that guilt does is it distorts distorts your memory. Because did he really try to stop them? What he did was he had a plan he was going to try to do without them really knowing about it. He didn't say, no, we're not going to do this. See, his memory of what happened that day has changed over time. And he's still stuck with the guilt. 
And it's not the way he remembers it and the way he recites it to his brothers. He didn't try to stop them. He was, he was secretly planning to do something different, but he didn't. Verse 24. I just want to see Joseph's response, and we'll talk a little bit more about the blame game here, about the, the guilty conscience. Look at Joseph's response, verse 24. And he turned himself about from them and wept, and, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. Wow. So his weeping shows his heart. His heart is still for his brothers. Even after all that they did for him, he still has a heart for them. They thought, now here's the thing, this is the other thing that guilt does. They thought that what they did would destroy Joseph. But who ended up getting destroyed? Them. It destroyed their joy, destroyed their peace, their victory, their power. He wept for them, I think, because they're a mess. They're in a mess. And they're still living in that guilt. So let's talk about that for a second. Because ultimately what ends up happening when this guilt progresses, look what happens in verse 28. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us. You see, now it's like God is getting us back. we got this guilty thing and God's always doing this. Everything is God's fault. When, here's the kicker, forgiveness is readily available. Y'all do understand that forgiveness is available. And why is forgiveness available? According to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, because in Jesus Christ we have, in His blood we have redemption And even the forgiveness of sins. The reason that forgiveness is available is because the price of it has been paid. The payment, the propitiation to appease God and to reconcile us has been made. It's available to us. We don't have to live in guilt. We can get forgiveness. So, number one, forgiveness is available. But there is, what are we instructed to do? Turn with me in John, 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1. The forgiveness of sins. How do we get it? Well, according to y'all know the one to verse 9, right? In John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then so how do we get it? We confess it. Now go look at look at this book. Why did why did John write this book right here? He wrote this book for two reasons. He wrote this book according to chapter 5 verse 13. It says, "These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life." And that you, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. But in chapter one, okay, chapter one, verse three, turn over there, we're still in first John, chapter one, verse three, it says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye, we declare it unto you that ye may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So this is what I want you to understand, is that the initial forgiveness of our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ's blood to never be brought up again. You'll never be judged for your sin if Jesus has already been judged for them. 
But what's the issue of sin after we're saved? According to what John wrote, he said, I wrote this so that you could have fellowship with us. And that our fellowship is truly with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And so now, the second issue, Brother Tucker, now is that we, in order for us to have fellowship, we need forgiveness and cleansing. Look what it says here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see that that was mentioned in verse 7. It's mentioned again over in verse verse 9. Don't you think God sees that it's important for us to not only have forgiveness, but cleansing? We've been cleansed. Now we can get some joy back. We can get some peace back in our heart. Have some victory in Christ. Honor God with our lives. Have some power over sin for the future. Amen? But it comes in the, 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 by our faith in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ and then just being obedient to His Word. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. I'll quote this for you a little bit. We'll, talk, we'll pick up here next week. But the Bible says that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But he that forsake, that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Anybody need any mercy in here? Anybody desire mercy besides me? That's exciting to me. God promised it to us. But the condition was, Brother Dick, is that we must confess it and forsake it. Now, does that mean that we'll never have to deal with it again? Not necessarily. We may fall back into it again. We certainly shouldn't be seeking it. Amen. We're turning away from it. It may overtake us, but it won't be because we're going toward it. Amen. And so, if that happens, then we got we have to go through the process again, right? Confess it and forsake it again. Put up some better boundaries so that we don't fall back into the same rut again. But God said that we shall have mercy. So we can have mercy, cleansing, and forgiveness of our sin through the provision of God, through the propitiation of His Son and the shedding of His blood on the cross. Now, that's an amazing truth. Let's, let's finish with that, and we'll pick up here next week. Lord, we thank You again for a wonderful day. And God, just this truth that, Lord, You've just woven throughout your word, God. And you even said over when when uh, Moses, Lord, uh, was put in the cleft of the rock and you passed by, you said, the Lord God, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Lord, we thank you that you want to be known that way, Lord, and that you are always the same. You cannot change, Father. And we thank you that you're good. We thank you for what you're going to do. We have expectations today, Father, that you will meet with us if we'd be willing that you would speak to us, that you would help us, Lord. You would strengthen us in our inner man. We, we believe by faith, Father, that you'd use Brother Roger today. May we be willing to receive, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.